ask the Lord to help us. Lord, how meaningful and how glorious is your name and also your word. Oh God, what will we do without your word? It picks us up, it straightens us out, and your Holy Spirit that works in our lives, Lord. We praise him for putting up with the likes of us. And we thank you, Lord, for Jude, that this little book is so important. And I've just gotten so much out of it for myself. I just pray that the ladies have too. So now, Lord, as we're quiet, we look to you and we ask that you might be our teacher now, that we might hear your voice, Lord, and that uh, you would speak to each of us. Lord, you know us intimately. You know us inside and out. Help us to come to know you intimately. And we'll simply give you all the praise, all the time. Amen. Well, last week we learned what is an apostate. So for my exam today, no. <laughs> Sometimes I kind of like doing that. What is an apostate? Apostate is a fake Christian. It's probably the simplest ways I can put it. It's a look-alike. They come into our churches. They come into our churches for a purpose. It may be monetary. Maybe they want to make themselves look good. I know a fellow that did that. He just simply wanted to make himself look respectable. They come in all sizes and forms, and you think, why do they come into the church? Well, they come into the church because the enemy wants to stir up the true believers. And how can you tell? Well, I wish I could give you a simple little formula how you can tell, but you can't because Judas was the first apostate, and he was such a good look-alike. All the uh, disciples at the Last Supper said, Lord, is it I? None of them suspected Judas, but Jesus knew from the beginning. Well, could they fool you? Well, that's the whole point of studying the word, so we won't get fooled or pulled into something. And uh, the best way to remember it is like the wheat and the tares. If you ever get a piece of wheat and you ever go out and get a tear and compare them, they look very similar. But we know that the Lord is going to take out the tares one day, and we long for that day. Last week we also looked at several individuals and it really summed it all up in my little diagram which I like a lot is that the three root sins are unbelief that was definitely the Israelites pride rebellion and of course I, I think of that false prophet that we studied Balaam he would he was a diviner he studied livers to find out what was going to happen now please don't ask me how studying a liver out of an animal would help you to know anything except a mess. But that's what he did. But God got a hold of him and used him to bless Israel. But you know what? I think when he was finished, he went to Israel and said, you know, God has protected you and God has blessed you and you're untouchable. Which then, very shortly thereafter, they got into mixed marriages with the pagans of the land. Sometimes that's the way it is. Somebody will bless you really good and you think, oh, Maybe I've got it made. <laughs> no, none of us have it made, so be very careful. Sometimes a blessing can be deceiving. Anyway, I pointed out that we have fruit-type sins, and often we'll confess those and then wonder why it comes right back. And it's the same thing in your yard. If you pull up a weed and you don't get the root, it'll come right back, sometimes even bigger. Anyway, you could have as many kinds of sins as you want on that bush, but I picked on worry because most of us are pretty good at it and it really is the sin of unbelief. So that's just a little review from last week. The thing with apostates is they look like they're the real thing. They can talk the talk often, but they can't walk the walk. And Jesus giving us a little understanding of that is by their fruits you shall know them. But then again, somebody is living a fruitless life, 
they may be backslidden Christian and you go and you think they're an apostate and share that with somebody, you may be way out of whack. Just know that God knows where they are and the bottom line is they don't want to bow the knee to the Lord. So Jude is now warning us again of the danger of this in the church. Jude gives us six vivid pictures and the very first one is their communion service. Now their communion services in the first uh, century church were entirely different than ours. They, um, they would all meet together for a wonderful love feast, you know, the big potluck. And then when that was over, they would have communion service. And so he's warning us there's spots. In fact, one book I read said they were dirty spots. And uh, you know how a dress can be ruined with a dirty spot on the front of it. But that's what was invading their communion services was, was the worst sort of hypocrisy. They were participating in the love feast while at the same time living and speaking in opposition to Christ. They seemed to have no fear about it. And the next thing they did was, as you had in your lesson, they were clouds without water. Now, if you're a farmer and you don't have any way of watering your crops, it's so important that when the rain comes that it waters your crops. Well, what was the point of these that he's telling us that these um, apostates deliver nothing except dryness and death. Very severe. They look alike, but they have no substance. And then it gets into late autumn trees without fruit. And I was thinking about apples. They just come in right at the autumn time, don't they? And you'd go out to harvest your apples and you have none, <laughs> you would be in big trouble. Well, that's exactly what uh, false teachers do. And they're good as dead. And they certainly lead a lot of people into what they're doing. Raging waves of the sea foaming up their own shame. I remember once walking on the beach after a storm and it looked like somebody had let out suds. <laughs> there was kind of suds all over the shore and also all kinds of interesting things have been coughed up out of the uh, sea like hypodermic needles and um, uh, all kinds of interesting paraphernalia. Of course people said well those came off the cruise ships <laughs> so I uh, kind of questioned that. So they have no substance seaweed. It, it, and when it's lying there drying on the seashore, it's just got a gazillion flies on it. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but that's kind of grim. Anyway, that's how uh, Jude is pointing out here what apostates are like. And then when they say about wandering stars, I have to think this would be uh, shooting stars or meteorites, sudden brilliance, and then they fade forever. And uh, if you're trying to navigate by ship, by the stars on a ship, then you'd be in big trouble if you were following a meteorite. <laughs> you wouldn't get anywhere. So I hope it's really clear to all of us how misleading these guys are and not to follow them and that they're all going to come under judgment. You know, how do you really tell if you uh, were, say, on a committee in your church and you had to pick leaders or uh, teachers or whatever, the very first thing you must do is not assume that they're Christian. You must find out their stand on Jesus Christ. Is he God? Is he the Lord? Has he come in the flesh? Did he die for our sins and go back to heaven? And if they can't agree with that, then you've got a problem and you don't want them in leadership. I love this verse here. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about those men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him, against the Lord. 
Now, what did Enoch know? Well, he knew that this was coming, that judgment would come, and that he would, the Lord would return with thousands of his saints. And I just find that so remarkable, because here's a man who walks so close to God that one day God said, well, we're closer to my place than yours. Why don't you come with me? He had an intimate relationship with uh, the Lord, and they talked about everything, just like Abraham. Abraham was called a friend of God. What did, what did God do? He took him into what he was doing, especially in regards to Sodom and Gomorrah. And that is what God wants to do with you and I. He wants you and I to know him so well that we are taken into that close fellowship with him. I just love it. And you think, could anything happen seventh from Adam? Well, yeah. Enoch was born, and he knew the Lord, and he demonstrates the first rapture. And what did he really know? He knew the same thing as Daniel and um, Zechariah and actually Moses and the author of Hebrews knew that God was going to return and take vengeance on these people that try to trip us up. So I, I came up with the question of, so why would anybody in their right mind follow somebody that is a false teacher? And I came, I came up with this answer. There is something in fallen human nature that loves a lie and is willing to follow it regardless of where it leads. There is something in fallen human nature that loves a lie and is willing to follow it regardless of where it leads. That definitely would explain Jim Jones, who ended up committing mass suicide, 932. And you think somebody in that group might say, wait a minute, what are we doing this for? But no one did, they followed him to death. And then I think of Jehovah Witnesses. And it's really a, a very confused cult and it does not lead you anywhere. It's like those fruitless trees or those clouds without water. They simply can't follow through. And then I think of Mormonism, probably the most difficult or most complex cult there is. But it appeals to us. It appeals to family and values and traditions and how easy it is to be taken into that. But what do they do about Jesus Christ? How do they look at him? Oh, by the way, the Jehovah Witnesses I think said it came in 1890 or something. I can't remember all they believe now. But um, Mormons believe that Jesus is God and all the Mormons are becoming gods. And we know that we're, his, we're God's children. We're not becoming gods. Boy, talk about confusion in heaven. And the other thing is that if you're married to a Mormon in the temple, then you're married forever. And I think, I don't want that personally. I mean... <laughs> But Jesus told us there was no marriage or given in marriage in, in heaven. So, I mean, you can just really go through their doctrine and see all the errors, but that would appeal to some people who just absolutely idolize their husband, wouldn't it? Now, I find being married to a sinner and he's married to a sinner, we have some problems. <laughs> anyway, I'm sure glad it ends here. But just think about that. I, I don't really mean that in a humorous way because you think of the confusion that would bring in heaven. It would just be ri ridiculous. Anyway. I don't know why people follow it, but it does appeal to the family instincts, instinct, especially that women have. Now I was looking at verses 17 through actually 21, and I realized there's a, there's a fight going on for the Word of God. You and I are in a battle. That's why we have armor. That's why we have God's promises. The enemy has been attacking the Word of God since day one with Eve. Has God said that? and causing much questions in her mind. And once we start 
going into believing what the enemy has to say or doubting God's word, then we've got a problem. You begin to question the word of God and you're vulnerable to Satan's other attacks. Only the truth of the word can protect us from the lies of the devil. So that's why you and I need to know the word of God so that when we hear something off, I also pray for every day I pray, God, give me discernment that I might not be swept up into something that was false. But I do want to tell you that every one of us in this room and those that are absent today and so on, every Christian, has to come to grips with God's word. Now, when I was dragged into Bible study fellowship, I sat under the teaching for a year and a half before I put my faith and trust in the word. It was not a simple thing for me because I was brought up in a church that said they were the only true church and they would interpret the Bible for me and that uh, I was not to go outside of that church to any Bible study or anything else. So it took me a while. Right in the middle of all that, I had my sixth child and um, <laughs> things were kind of grim. And I, I just plead with you, don't wait a year and a half if uh, you're under the word to accept the Lord, accept his word. This is a treasure to the believer. I don't know how many times I've read it, maybe 30, 35 times read the Bible through. And there is one error that I can find in the English. And that is an age difference between one king in the book of Kings and his, the other story of his life in Chronicles. They got him 20 years older. Now, is that going to affect my salvation? Is that going to affect my understanding of the word? Heavens, no. So some sleepy scribe someplace miscopied it. And what we have in the English, it even has, most of your Bibles have a footnote that this is an error. And we don't know what, when it happened or how. But this word, you can stand on it, you can sleep on it, you can chew it up, you can do it. Is, it is fabulously accurate. To me, it's without error, especially without error in regards to its first writings. So... Jude is trying to warn us here there's authentic and then there's counterfeit. And wherever they, there's authentic things going on, you'll find the counterfeit. Someone told me this, and it was so true in my own life. Uh, I heard it after the fact. But when someone is considering receiving the Lord or becoming a Christian, the cults seem to go after them. And I've seen that right down the line. I remember I had a flock of them at the door. <laughs> Even my former religion came and said, well... You know, what Jesus did on the cross, that, that was a pagan ritual. You don't believe in that, do you? And I was stunned. I remember getting dragged to all kinds of things after I came to faith. Well, there was a, went to a church somebody took me to that the pastor could heal eyes. And I didn't think a whole lot of it at the time, but I thought, how many people have macular degeneration today who would love to have their eyes healed? Anyway, no one was healed that evening. So, But it's interesting how <laughs> well-meaning friends want to take you places. So, the authentic teaching of scripture points to Christ and Christ alone, period. Uh, someone offers you a new revelation, uh, like recently I think it was the Gospel of Thomas that came out, and something else came out, they're all, they're all written hundreds of years after Christ. All you have to do is take that and compare it to the Word of God, that's all you have to do, and you'll find that it's false, and that it's been added on. New revelations are lies, be very careful. Verse 18 tells us that mockers will come. Boy, haven't we seen that? There's just all kinds. Of, you don't believe in the Word of God. Or not, they don't say that. You don't believe in the Bible. You know, is that your crutch? You know, what are you doing? That's old-fashioned. We, we're beyond the Bible. I've heard many politicians say, we're beyond the Bible. And I thought, well, you're in trouble if you're beyond the Bible. So, again, you don't know. Sometimes I remember 
a couple came to this church and uh, this a long time ago and she had a degree in Christian education, was put into that position at the church. Wonderful couple. Her husband was just charming. And he was put in as an usher. And time went along, and the pastor wanted him to become an elder in the church. And uh, wow, lo and behold, he was having an affair with the organist. That all came out, and then divorce ensued because apparently he'd been having affairs since uh, they first got married. He wasn't about to bow the knee to Jesus Christ. So, to me, he's a true apostate. I hope down the line he'll come to faith, and I just don't know. But it says, walking after their own lusts. See, there was a man walking after his own lusts, but he could play the game. He could talk the talk. He'd been around a lot. They simply just don't want God to tell them what to do, and especially how to live. They don't want to bow the knee. It's my understanding. I remember reading this, and I'm sorry, I can't remember where, but about 95% of those that go into cults or refuse to receive Christ here, it's usually a moral issue behind it, and they want to skirt around that. And yet, oh, our precious Lord, he'll forgive us. We're all a mess. He forgives us. What a great God. He loves us so much. So to put that in front of you, between you and the Lord, is, is a sad thing. Satan also wants to substitute his own lies. He wants to get rid of the truth. He'll attack God's word. He'll either do it seriously or he'll do it in ridicule but if he can't get you to argue about it he'll just simply laugh at the scriptures and I think of how many times my husband added a few uh, TV stations to our channel and I love some of them because it's an international history channel and there's uh, another history channel and public broadcasting we just got a lot of new channels but when they come out on who Christ is I just sit there and argue with them until I can't stand it anymore. <laughs> I change the channel. It's just, and they have umpteen doctorates after their name. You know, you should be very impressed with them. But uh, no, they just simply don't know the truth, and they're pumping out all these things. Especially it seems a whole slew of them around Christmas and also Easter. You have to just sort through it all. That's kind of the why of apostates. Uh, false teachers want to divide the church. They want to lead the people out of the church into true fellowship, but they don't have the answers. You might hear, well, our pastor really is better than this pastor, and you should come. But be very worried about that. You have to ask, do they have the Spirit of God? I have down here one of the tragedies in ministry today is that God's people can't discern between soul ministry and true ministry. You might say, well, what does that mean? True ministry of what? Of the Spirit, of course. There's a lot of religious showmanship these days that the saints are confused and deceived by. And if we go back to Leviticus, I hope we don't have to cover that again. If we've done it twice, <laughs> you will remember um, Nadab and Abihu both were killed instantly by offering strange fire. And the study that I was reading talked about strange fire going on in, you know, within Christianity. But if we know Leviticus, we know we can't follow after that. Well, how do you discern between soulish and spiritual? by using God's word, which is able to divide soul and spirit. A soulish ministry magnifies man. It lifts the pastor, it lifts something other than Jesus Christ. And the spiritual one glorifies Jesus Christ. You know, it takes the spirit of God to minister to our spirits to make us more like Christ. There's no way you and I are ever going to become more like Christ if we're not spending time in his word and studying his life. Christian must realize that they either are going forward or they're going backwards. 
I found this blurb, since this fellow is one of my favorite authors, well, it's written by Wearsby, he's very good, and he has this quote that I just so appreciate. It says, the word of God is certainly central in spiritual growth. I have yet to meet a strong, fruitful Christian who ignores the Bible. You must daily spend devotional time in the word, seeking the mind of God. We must also study the word regularly in a disciplined way so that we better understand what it teaches. The gifted Chinese preacher, Watchman Nee, and I highly recommend any of his books, used to read through the New Testament once a month. This becomes apparent when you read his books, for you are struck with his wonderful insights into God's word. The members of the Chinese church used to have a saying, no Bible, no breakfast. If we followed that motto in America, I wonder how many Christians would go hungry. Heavy duty. <laughs> His books are heavy duty, too. Well, the power for building your life obviously comes through the scriptures and through praying in the spirit. What is it when you go to prayer? I, so often we want to get our will done. You know, This is the way it should be, Lord, and this is what I need, and fix this, and so on. But really, when we go to prayer, we're aiming at getting God's will done on earth. <laughs> That's what you need to know when you're thinking about praying. Not your will, but God's will on earth. And we need to yield to the Spirit. The Spirit will assist you in your prayer life. Keep yourself in the love of God, really where it's at. You know, we all suffer so. Life is difficult. Hardships come. Letters are received. Bills pile up. Kids are a wreck. You know, <laughs> things happen like that. And you just stay on your knees and in the love of God. Just keep going back to the fact that God loves you. And you say, well, I have trouble believing that. Well, don't call God a liar. He loves you. And that's, uh, he wants you to experience that. And we certainly do in his forgiveness. I have another little blurb here from Oswald Chambers. The last portion of it I think is so good. Because so many of us think, well, I'm not doing much of anything for the Lord. Well, just listen to this. We do not need the grace of God to stand crisis. Human nature and pride are sufficient. We can face the strain magnificently. But it does require the supernatural grace of God to live 24 hours in every day as a saint, to go through drudgery as a disciple, to live an ordinary, unobserved, ignored existence as a disciple of Jesus. It is inbred in us that we have to do exceptional things for God, but we have not. We have to be exceptional in the ordinary things, to be holy in the mean streets, among mean people. And this is not learned in five minutes. But isn't that so true? Well, I found an awful lot of stuff in uh, this little epistle of Jude, as he says in verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some, you have to have compassion, making a distinction, others safe, uh, with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. You have any opportunity to reach out to somebody going in the wrong way, and I'll never forget a friend of mine. She just was so heartbroken that her husband was just bent on going a different way. One day, with tears running down her eyes, she said, I can't bear the thought of, of losing you after death, that you need the Lord. Well, that man came to Christ. It was wonderful. How we need to ask the Lord to help us to see people who need rescuing. And as I had that question in your book, they might just not want to be rescued. So this is where you and I need to pray and leave it to the Lord. But how about the wonderful benediction that um, Jude gives us? 
And I love that first one, now to him, this is my, was my answer. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Well, if he's going to keep you from stumbling, you have to be standing. It can't be seated or on your face. And or standing or running or walking. He will keep you from stumbling. If you're in the grandstands watching everybody else in their Christian walk and, and aren't participating yourself, really you're going backwards. But he can't keep you from stumbling if you're not participating. <laughs> See, it's just that simple. And then to present you faultless. Isn't that an amazing thought? To present you faultless. I just feel like I'm crawling in and out of faults. <laughs> uh, just that thought amazes me. That he has, his blood has so cleansed us that he is going to present us faultless before the presence of who? His glory with exceeding joy. Isn't that something to think about? God is so full of joy over your life, over the fact that you've said yes to him. I just found, find that just astounding. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, oh, help us not to look to man for wisdom. It's not there. As I've often said, don't go to the phone, go to the throne. God's the one that has wisdom. You've got financial problems, go to God. If you've got children problems, go to the Lord. He has wisdom. I just wish, though, when my kids were growing up, they came with a manual. That would have been so much easier. But see, if it came with a manual, uh, we'd think we'd have this thing wired. So God says, you have to depend on me when you're raising your children. And be glory and majesty. Who has all the glory and all the majesty? Just the thought of standing before the Lord one day and looking into his eyes, and his eyes of love. He has the dominion and the power. He holds it all together. All of this world, all the galaxies, everything is held together by his power, both now and forever. So, do we have anything to worry about? No. <laughs> That's strictly unbelief. So, let's ask the Lord to help us with this little book with full of good stuff. Father, someday we're going to meet you. But more important, someday we're going to meet you face to face, Lord. And yet, you've promised us in this world where we will not stumble but we know that we've got to be involved in the walk. We need to stay in your love. We need to stay in your word so that you can direct us. And by that, we won't stumble. We won't be caught up with some kind of cult or some kind of new teaching or, or listen to all the put-downs of Scripture and your word and who you are. Oh, God, thank you that you won't let, us, let that happen as we stay close to you. I thank you, Lord, that indeed everything is under your control. You don't all of everything. You control all the atoms. You control all the world rulers. And we're grateful that you have the ultimate say as we see so much horror going on around the world. Now, Lord, we ask your blessing upon each of these ladies, and we pray that they would continue to give their burdens to you. They would seek your wisdom, and that they would find that you are all sufficient for every need that can possibly come in our life. And we'll give you all the praise, Lord. You are so deserving of it. In Jesus' name, amen.